Welcome back to Friends and Neighbors. I'm Benjamin Wagner, and this week, Human Kindness Foundations, Sita Lozoff and Aaron Parrish. The United States represents just over 4% of the world's population. It houses 2.3 million, or nearly 20%, of the world's prisoners. For most Americans, this is a rarely considered and largely anonymized population. But to the Human Kindness Foundation, this population is an untapped resource for love and creativity. A diverse, colorful, wholly human community whose incarceration is a reflection of all of our imprisonment and whose freedom is tied up in all of our liberation. Because we're all suffering, we're all doing time. I first learned of the Human Kindness Foundation in the summer of 2001 on the back porch of Fred Rogers' Nantucket home when he mentioned a conversation with his friend, HKF co-founder, Bo Lozoff, originator of Deep and Simple. Fred loved the phrase, loved the books, and bought and shared them by the box load. In 2006, my brother Chris and I met Bo and his wife Sita at their Durham, North Carolina ashram and interviewed the two of them for what would eventually become our 2012 PBS documentary, Mr. Rogers and Me. Sita was born and raised in Philadelphia and met Bo at the University of Miami. The couple married in 1967 and had a son, Josh, in 1971. In 1973, Bo and Sita met Ram Das, whose seminal book, Be Here Now, was sweeping the country, introducing baby boomers to Eastern spirituality. The two teamed up with Ram Das to help him reply to mail from and eventually send books to people in prisons across the country. Bo and Sita's first book, We're All Doing Time, called one of the 10 books everyone in the world should read, contains a foreword by the Dalai Lama. It provides interfaith wisdom and advocates for a life of activism and spiritual exploration. For over 30 years, the couple gave talks and workshops in hundreds of prisons, churches, and community centers around the world and distributed countless copies of their spiritual guidance to those incarcerated across America in order to encourage more kindness, simple living, and service. Bo, who presided over my wife Abigail and my wedding in 2007, died the year of our film's release. Under Sita's leadership, human kindness has carried on. As I've gone deeper and worked harder to understand my own human experience, I wanted to catch up with Sita to learn more about her and find out what's next for HKF. These days, Sita acts as spiritual director at HKF and has handed organizational operations and growth to executive director Aaron Parrish. With a PhD in cultural anthropology and master's in history, conflict resolution and reconciliation studies, Aaron has worked with victims and combatants of violence in Colombia and Northern Ireland and designed peer support reentry programs for people coming out of prison back home in North Carolina. I read Ram Dass's Be Here Now and begged Bo to read it. And that very same year, Bo's sister's husband was busted for bringing a lot of marijuana from Jamaica. And we went up to Terre Haute, Indiana and visited him. It was the first time we set foot in a prison. 
And on the drive home, Bo said, I don't know what, but I feel like I have more of a connection to people in prison. Hmm. And I don't know what it's actually going to mean, but we got home. We had read Be Here Now. Bo invited Ramdas here to visit us and speak at Duke University. And when he was here, he told us that he had been putting copies of Be Here Now into prisons all over the country. And he was starting to get a lot of mail. And when Bo said he had some kind of interest in working with people in prison, he said, take my mail. And that was the start of the Prison Ashram Project, 1973. You know, next year will be 50 years, Benjamin. 50 50 years we've been doing this. Did you guys have a sense of what you were doing in the world at that point? I find it hard to imagine that at that time, 50 years ago, we had any idea that it was going to be our calling and our life's work and all that. But I do know, Benjamin, that the first time I was ever in prison, and that was at a workshop Bo was leading, I felt like I was sitting in my living room. I had a feeling Mm -hmm. of comfort and ease and guidance that I don't know I had had before. I mean, it really rang true to me that this is something in my life and something meaningful for me. And it just kept going. It just kept going on and on. Bo wrote a book or two and Deep and Simple, which, as we know, turned our beloved friend, Mr. Rogers, on and you. On my Instagram feed and my Twitter feed, there are few spiritual leaders save perhaps the Dalai Lama, that are more oft quoted than Ram Das for a certain set of millennials and Gen Xers. So I'd love to spend a second digging into that first experience. And you had an ongoing relationship, correct? Correct. As a matter of fact, I saw him just a couple of months before he died. He came to New Mexico to be present at the beginning of our uh, brand new ashram in Taos, New Mexico. It was remodeled. There's a whole new building. And an old friend called and said, Ramdas is coming. You've got to come. I wasn't really doing a whole lot of traveling at the time, but I knew that I had to see him. I had to say goodbye. I had to thank him. I had to be with him again. And I knew that he didn't have much longer. I could. We all knew that it was close to the end. This was in July of 2019, and he died in December 2019. But he seemed to be the first spiritual teacher who could translate Eastern thought into Western conversation. He brought it to all of us. And that's why reading Be Here Now was such an important time for so many people. Bo and I discovered that his guru was our guru, named Karoli Baba. He was well known as the saint of service. He inspired countless people to use service as their practice. And that's really what it ended up being for me. It is my spiritual practice, my work at Human Kindness Foundation. After almost 50 years, I can hardly wait to get out of bed. And my home is on the same land as Human Kindness Foundation. So I cross a little bridge. I get over to the office. By grace, I've got Aaron and our operations manager, Kristen, taking care of the details so that I can do what I really want to do for my practice and what I feel is the most useful way that I can help. I'm writing to people in prison and I do it every day. And I pick up the mail 
and blessings to Aaron for taking care of all the details so that I can do that. And Aaron and I work on the newsletter together beautifully. I'm so grateful, so grateful that I can be doing something worthwhile at this point in my life. Pushing 80. Can you help us understand a little better the scope of human kindness and the project's work as it's evolved over the last 50, almost 50 years? Well, we've had three main subjects that we have uh, felt like are very important that we talk to people in and out of prison about. And one of them is simple living. And you can see that all over Deep and Simple and all over what Mr. Rogers wants to talk to his congregation about. And the second is some kind of spiritual practice Whatever turns you on, you know, chanting, meditating, praying, whatever, whatever works for you, whatever make, fills you up. And the last is some kind of service, some kind of feeling like you're helping out in the world in some way. People inside do not necessarily feel like they can help out in the world. Mm. A friend of mine on death row in central prison we used to do a, a mindfulness class there. And uh, he or she, she's now transgender. Her name is Priscilla James. And uh, she said that she was meeting with uh, the Muslim brothers there and they were sending light and blessings to the suffering people in the world. Mm. She asked me if I would join them. And so we came up with this Wednesday evening, seven to eight time, when we were all going to get together for the express purpose of sending blessings to suffering people in the world. And a couple of years ago in 2020, just soon after we could see that the uh, pandemic was going to last for a little bit longer, we put it in our newsletter. And I would say at this point, we have maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people joining us on Wednesday evenings from seven to eight. What we've told people is that whatever time works for you on Wednesdays, come join us with the motivation that during this time, you're going to be sending light and love and blessings and prayers in whatever way is meaningful to you, yeah. to people all over the world. And there's, this is such a time of suffering and people inside can get a feeling like they are sincerely helping out. And we believe they are. And are part of something bigger and connected to others in a meaningful way. When I started this job, this together apart practice just felt so beautiful. And so in keeping mm. with, you know, what I hope we will be in the next 50 years, which is how do we build connection and spaces of isolation? And how do we draw upon the spiritual wisdom of people who are incarcerated, their family members, their loved ones? And how do we hold that up in a space of connection? And so one of the things that we're going to be working on for the next couple of years is creating a new book that is basically a year of spiritual practices that is collaboratively written with people who have experienced incarceration and their family members to be a family member of someone who has experienced incarceration is to have experienced incarceration. And I say that from personal mm -hmm. experience. That's the hope 
moving forward. And I could see it as taking a lot of different forms of content to beyond a book. There's so much amazing artwork that people make as well. So this is part of the structure of what we're looking at. I spend probably more time than the average bear thinking about our prison systems in part because of my relationship to your work. My sense is that the bulk of the country or the planet thinks of the prison population as wholly other or thinks of them not at all and paints with a very broad brush around the type of person instead of thinking of broad diversity of humanity, just like everywhere else. So I wonder if you could speak a little in terms of the more practical real world information about our prison system. My family's background is liberation theology, Catholicism. And so some of that has been through civil disobedience around School of the Americas protest and priests serving, you know, federal time because of civil disobedience. And so from that eight to 12 year, we were at protests at Mm -hmm. 10 where we were the only people who weren't Catholic clergy. And we actually had, we're all doing time sitting on the shelf in our kitchen bookshelf. Mm -hmm. So I was very aware of that notion of prison ashram and the political choice of going to prison and then using that space as an act of your faith and to live your faith. And then when I got older, my sister was incarcerated when she was 19 or 20 and was in and out of prison for 10 years, prisons and jails. And she gave birth to her daughter when she was incarcerated, she was shackled. Mm -hmm. And so I got to see very firsthand what the criminal justice system was like. And I also come from a mixed race family, both biological and chosen. And so I have the privilege of walking through the world, white appearing. And then I've also seen, you know, the way the world treats my black family members differently. And Mm -hmm. I think that that has really fueled my passion for this work as a space of racial justice and economic justice, because the people that we have locked up are Black, they're brown, they're poor, um, and they have experienced trauma. Some of my work that I did in the city was administering ACEs quizzes to people in jail to try and understand, like, what are the experiences of trauma that people have had in childhood and what are the experiences of resilience as well? And we lock up people because of their pain. We know that as humans, we're hardwired for connection And prison and jail is hardwired for disconnection. It is hardwired for isolation. And when we see what's happening right now with these spaces of mass shootings and violence that feels senseless, it's not, violence isn't senseless. Violence has a lot of sense. And so many of these men who are perpetrating these acts of violence, they're isolated and they're disconnected. And so I think this is the space of connection is a tool for public safety. And I think that that is at the core of what we do through our work is we try to create connections with people in the face of a system that is built to disconnect you from your family, from your social support system, from your sense of yourself as a strong and beautiful person, from your sense of any of the things that will build you up, right? That is our mission is how do we create a sense of connection for you? How do we create a sense that that you are loved? and that you are part of this world and that we want you and your brilliance and your beauty to be something that can serve other people and serve yourself. So all of this violence seemed to be a direct response to really the lack of any other agency or means of expressing or even understanding or moving through the world with any support. So it just feels like 
we did it backwards. And I'd love to hear more from you guys about your experiences in prison so that we can try and help anybody who's listening understand the full range of humanity, that we're not talking about some other kind of creature. We're talking about human beings. We just got the most beautiful piece of artwork from mm. an artist in San Antonio that goes by PIK, Proficient in Knowledge. And it was inspired by a story from um, the book Lineage and Other Stories by Bo and Sita. And it was a gift to Sita. And it was just the most exquisite piece of artwork. We wrote him back and thanked him. And I asked if he wanted to collaborate on this book project. I'm like, oh my gosh, your artwork is beautiful. He loved the poetry that we put up in the newsletter. And he wrote in the letter that he had had a scholarship to Duke and Mm. to somewhere else as a middle schooler. So I actually got my PhD at Duke and I know exactly what he was talking about. It's the TIP, the TIP program. So he was chosen, you know, as someone of promise because he is someone of promise. Mm -hmm. And he wrote in the letter, I was so surrounded by violence and I was surrounded by you know, people who didn't want to support that path for me. And to me, our prisons and our jails are filled with so much potential that we decide to waste as a society. And it's not the individual that is wasting their life. It is not the individual who has wasted decisions. It is our society that chooses to lock up potential and to say what's wrong with you instead of what happened to you, which is like the, mm -hmm. the language of looking at things through a lens of trauma. And then I think through a lens of resilience, it's also what happened to you and what do you have to give, you know, like, what forms of community are you part of now and that you have been before and you could be in the future? That's, to me, the greatest heartbreak of our prison system is this loss of potential. We're all energy and it's all potential energy. And so I truly believe that we have it in us to make this energy that we put to good use and that every single person in a prison or jail has that energy that they want to put to good use or are currently putting into good use. And so I think in looking at the work that we do moving forward and thinking about building on a legacy of service to find ways that people can be of service, like while they are in prison to other people who are incarcerated and be of service to you and I while they're incarcerated. That's what I want us to be building on in the future. How on earth did we arrive here? I feel like we couldn't have gotten it more wrong. I have a couple of thoughts. So one is race-based capitalism. So there's that, you know, I mean, it's a created system. It's a structured system. It's a system that wants to put people into use as labor instead of as loving, thinking, sensing, deserving of respect beings. So that's the deep structural space, I would say. Yeah. But I think some of that too comes from living in a scarcity mindset instead of an abundance mindset right. and a sense that our world is win-lose and that you getting something takes away from me instead of that your strength and your freedom is my strength and my freedom. And then I think the third yeah. piece is this idea, hurt people, hurt people, right? But free people, free people as well. That's really powerful to me because it goes back to the idea of we're all doing time. We are in chains from our pain, but our pain is also our strength. And so I have a responsibility to understand what my pain is and what my strength is so that I can be free. And you have that too. And we have that and we need that together. And so if we can move from understanding like hurt people, hurt people and hurt people were hurt. And what is that cause of that hurt? 
How can we work towards healing? How can we work towards understanding that there's strength in that hurt and that freedom lies in understanding that and that your freedom is tied up into my freedom? And I think that's the root cause of it, that we don't see that my freedom and my liberation is tied up to your freedom and your liberation. And I'm never going to be fully free as a person until everyone is fully free as a person. I think that's what we're trying to tell people inside also, is that they can help out. They can help out from where they are, from their suffering. A letter that I read last night, a guy said, it took me a long time to figure out that it feels better to help Mm. than to hurt. And he's saying it simply and he's saying it deeply. And I know he gets it. And that's what we're doing is that we're helping people get it. That what really makes the real change has to come at a heart level. Well, and I think that space of giving people opportunities to be of service is so important. And it's something that we're not giving enough to people in prison. And it's something that I feel is really important to the work that we're trying to do that we've done and that we're working towards in the future. We got a letter from a man ooh, a couple weeks ago who is a beautiful poet. And he was writing about how hurt he was about all of the violence in our society right now. And he is convicted of murder and has been in prison for 17 years. And he's like, we need this violence to stop. And we have a voice about it. You know, we have feelings about this and something to say about violence and how violence needs to stop. And then shared beautiful poetry about violence and needing to end that. That's what I feel so much of our work has been in the past and that I want it to be in the future is lifting up those voices and that wisdom and knowledge that people have of how we can build a safer and more loving world. That's the wisdom and the gift of lived experience. And I feel that these forms of connection are actually super connected to our public safety. And we kind of have two options of where we're going in this world, right? Are we going to be super entrenched, hanging on to the crumbling vestiges of these institutions that are kind of falling apart in our hands? Mm -hmm. Or do we want to imagine what this new world is and is becoming? How do we want to be part of that? And I think that new world that is becoming has to be a space in which we believe in abundance and we believe in the abundance of every human spirit. And we want to open the doors for what everyone has to give. I was going to ask Sita, and I don't think I have an elegant way to inquire. So in part, it's a statement and it might be also a, you may be able to offer a reflection, but mostly it'll be my way of expressing gratitude if I haven't, which is So Aaron, Bo, and Sita were kind enough to not only attend my wedding, but Bo presided. And I mean, it just felt like a really youthful folly to ask you guys to do that, but it was so meaningful to me. And moreover, Sita, the photo that hangs on our mantle, and I may have told you this, I don't ever notice myself in it. Yes, of course, my wife looks beautiful and we look happy. But the thing I always notice, Sita, is you with your hands together in prayer and your eyes open and your smile just more radiant than either of us combined. It just feels like I'm still benefiting from whatever energy you're sharing with me in that instant. That is so beautiful and touching, Benjamin. Oh, it meant so much. I'm really so moved by that. I'm sure it was a present moment, deep love that you were feeling. And that's why you knew it was special is that I was right there. 
I was right there wishing you all the love in the world. Do you happen to remember the roomy poem that Bo read for you and Abby at your wedding? Yes, yes. It's that we're going to get kicked around, we're going to get bumped around, and yet you're together doing that. Sometimes God wants to hold us up by our ankles and shake all the nonsense out. That's what I remember. In the time since you've joined, Aaron, how have you two discussed together the evolution of the work and the mission and the vision for the organization? And as you put it, Aaron, the next 50 years. A lot of it is around honoring the legacy and honoring the foundation and understanding the legacy and the foundation and then seeing what fits, what fits moving Mm -hmm. forward, what needs to be evolved and opened and then what needs to be changed. It's not one person's decision of what a future will look like. We throw our our best hope and our best work into the wind and then we see what catches and what lands. And so I do think one of the beautiful things about the organization is being a spirit-led organization. And I believe that the Holy Spirit's wise and that the Holy Spirit wants us to listen to her. And that sometimes we really need to get out of the way and hear what she has to say. What does mass imprisonment tell us about ourselves? What I come up with is something around creativity and curiosity and what happens when we choose not to be curious about people's motivations Mm -hmm. and people's pasts and what the story is and when we make a situation in which it's very hard for creativity to flourish because the human spirit is nourished by creativity. What I think this work has done and what I hope we can continue to do is foster curiosity and creativity in this place that is doing everything humanly possible to say, you don't deserve to be creative and Mm -hmm. you don't deserve Mm -hmm. to be curious. And this beautiful art that we have on the walls, paintings made from the dye of M&Ms, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's that human beings are creative. We are beautiful and brilliant and broken. We just have to give people the space to thrive. You know, in some of my previous work, I did work around um, forensics, thinking about the environment forensically. And one of the bases around forensics is that every contact leaves a trace. And I think when we think about prison, like every contact that someone has experienced leaves a trace that gets them there. But I think in part of what we do, every contact that we offer also leaves a trace. And so these small acts of human kindness leave traces of resilience. And we can think about this in this space, you know, you can think about it as a, as a scale of trauma and resilience. And if we think about what our collective responsibility is for our collective safety, it's leaving as many traces on as many people of just spaces of goodness and kindness and that you deserve and you already are. You already are enough. Very much Mr. Rogers, uh, message, isn't it? It's so much. The connection is so much. That's why he loved us, I believe. I really do. I think he could feel what she was just saying. I think he could really feel that about us. My sense is that the oppressors are possibly the most oppressed. One of the things I feel like I learned 
from being with you and Bo, Sita, and from talking with you two now, Aaron and Sita, is the reminder of how important it is to be present as present as we can be, not worrying about my next question or if I sound articulate or anything, just being here with you two as best as I can be. And I wonder if you could just share a little insight or experience around how you cultivate that presence, how you bring yourself back to the moment, what your practice might be so that you don't spin off into the future or get stuck in the past. In the very early days, what Ram Das told us about writing to people in prison the letters in a lot of cases are just horrific. You can't even imagine some of the things that I read. And he said it's very important. First of all, these men and women are writing to us for some kind of spiritual upliftment. But it's very important that we don't just up-level it immediately, really be in the place where God's perfection is what I'm looking at. I have to feel the pain as well. And that's actually been my main practice uh, probably all these uh, years. I really read and try to take in what I'm seeing. And yet I know if I get really uh, stuck there that I'm not able to offer anything. Ramdas got it across that just maintaining that balance of the perfection with the sorrow, the intense and immense sorrow of this world, staying right there in the middle. That's really what's gonna change this world. Friends and Neighbors is an essential industries production in association with Wagner Brothers. Learn more at friendsandneighborshow.com. And please help your friends and neighbors discover our show by sharing, liking, commenting, and rating. Really, it makes a difference. Until next time, it's a good feeling to know we're lifelong friends.